Amen. Matthew chapter 5, this morning we'll look at verse 13 through 16. We'll read it and then we'll pray once again. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, it tells us, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under, underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And Lord, now we just come before you and we ask that your word would find good soil in each and every one of our hearts, Lord. Lord, for any of us, God, that perhaps we've gone back to the decay in this world, Lord. For any of us that have gone back in darkness, Lord. Lord, for some of us that we've never left the decay and darkness of this world, Lord. We pray that today would be that day of salvation, Lord. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us for losing uh, the, the tang and the saltiness that we are to have, Lord. Pray that you would restore it and renew it in each and every one of us, Lord. So we just come to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'd fill us afresh and anew. And we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One last announcement. Got the bad news. Now here's the good news. Cafe serving chicken lomo saltado after service. Uh, so if you're looking for a great lunch, swing by the cafe and uh, grab some lunch afterwards. Matthew chapter 5. We've been going through this Mount of Beatitudes. Jesus is here on the mountain and he's been healing people and people from all all over from many different nations are coming and gathering to him. At the beginning of chapter 5, we see that he moves up the mountain so that he can find a better spot so that they can hear him and that they can see him. The backdrop, those of us going to Israel will get to taste this. The backdrop is they're on a mountain and there's a lake. The Sea of Galilee is at the bottom of this sort of valley and there's mountains all around it. And here Jesus, he's proclaiming this message, and the most of the message up until verse 11 has been just speaking about a group. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those, over and over and over again. However, in verse 11, Jesus all of a sudden stops speaking about this cloud of people, and now he speaks directly and personally to the people in front of him. He tells them there in verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus, he speaks to them directly. It's all to them, directly to each and every one of us. If we are saved here, 
if we are the sons and daughters of God, if we are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven, if we are those who have a great reward awaiting us in heaven, if we've been persecuted like the prophets before us and the Son of God that we look towards, then we are the salt of the earth. It doesn't matter how insignificant you are in your own eyes or how small you are in your own sight. Who are you going to be in eternity? Because who you are in eternity is going to determine who you are today. And who you are today, your decisions today, will determine who you will be in eternity. If you are going to be a son or daughter of God for all of eternity, if you're going to be a co-heir ruling and reigning together with God for the rest of eternity, then we are the salt and the light of the earth. We need to remember, and this is a great reminder for me at least this week, that our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not just being Floridians. I love Florida. Our citizenship is not just being Americans. I love America. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is why we eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20. We can be reminded our father in the faith, Abraham, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's what Hebrews 11 verse 10 tells us. We need to be reminded this world is not our home. Hebrews 13 verse 14 tells us that we have no continuing city here, but we seek the one to come. And if we are grounded in that truth, that this world is not our home, our home is in heaven awaiting us, then we are the salt of the earth. Jesus, he doesn't ask the group, hey, who do you think that you are? He doesn't ask them if they're willing to be. He doesn't make it as an idea or just, hey, why don't you ponder this? He makes a statement and tells them that they are the salt of the earth. And here the tense in the Greek is, you alone are the salt of the earth. There is no other salt on this planet. The Buddhists can't be the salt of the earth. The JWs cannot be the salt of the earth. The unbelievers cannot be the salt of the earth. No other religion can be the salt of the earth. The health gurus, mental health, anything out there cannot be the salt of the earth. The only salt of this planet are the sons and daughters of God. There is no other form of salt upon this planet. And today, it's difficult because salt isn't seen in a very good light, right? Many of us, we know at least one person that they cook with no salt for health reasons. You always contemplate if you want to eat there or not, right? Man, is it awkward if I bring my own salt, right? If I bring my own Himalayan salt, is it weird, right? That, that's salt for us today. But in ancient civilizations, salt was important, precious, and expensive, Ancient cultures literally fought wars over access to salt. Roads, ancient roads were named after salt. Roman soldiers received their payment in salt along with a percentage of what they pillaged and took as spoil from their enemies. It's where we get our word salary from. It's the word in Latin where we get salt. The expression to be worth one's salt meant that the individual was competent and deserved to be paid what he earned 
as a Roman soldier. A salt tax was one of the main causes for the French Revolution. A salt tax from England to India is one of the main reasons why India sought to be liberated from the English government. And salt was so important in ancient culture. It was used as the main preserving agent. There was no refrigeration in ancient cultures. Whenever people say, I wish I was alive during the days of Jesus, this is always one of the first things I think of. There was no air conditioning back in that day, right? There was no refrigeration. So most meat was either smoked or made into a jerky type meat, or it was salted to kill the germs and to preserve the meat from going bad. Salt was also used as an ancient antiseptic. If a soldier was cut in battle, they would take that salt and pour it upon their wounds to keep them from getting any type of sickness or illness or bacteria. Maybe I like pain, but whenever I have a sore in my mouth, I like taking salt and just sort of pushing it into that corner until it goes numb. Today, salt, what we know it for mostly is is that it raises our blood pressure or makes us thirsty, right? But it makes us thirsty. When you go to the movie theater and you buy a huge bucket of popcorn, what else do you have to buy? A huge bucket of a drink, right? Because you're going to be thirsty the entire time of the movie. We can even think of the medical field and athletics that more and more athletes are using smelling salts to wake themselves up and get them ready for a sporting event or to carry out a heavy lift and weightlifting. And we need to have these attributes within our lives today. Jesus tells us that we are precious in his sight. Jesus tells us that we are the preserving agent upon this world. He tells us that we are to be an antiseptic to this world today. That we are to make people thirsty for Jesus and we are to wake people up out of their sleep. We need to be mindful because salt is not heard, but salt is tasted and it is felt. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6 tells us, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. That's enough for each of us to ask forgiveness for our week, right? Our speech is to always have grace and be seasoned with salt. With our spouse, with our kids, with our coworkers, whether our coworkers or bosses are around or if they're not, our speech is to always be with grace and seasoned with salt. Charles Spurgeon tells us, No sooner is a man born unto God than he begins to fellow men with an influence which is rather felt than seen. The very existence of a believer operates upon unbelievers. He is like a handful of salt cast upon open flesh. He has a savor in himself, and this penetrates those who are in contact with him. The unobserved and almost unconscious influence of a holy life is most effectual to serving of society and the prevention of moral putrefaction. May there be salt in every one of us, for salt is good. Have salt in yourselves, and then you will become a blessing to all around you. Oftentimes we forget that our world is decaying. Our world is 
putrefying right in front of us. And over and over and over again, history proves that our world is not naturally headed towards divinity or towards perfection. Our world is constantly in a collision course towards decay, decline, destruction, disorder, and debauchery. In every single civilization, even our own nation today, we see that we are in a collision course with complete debauchery. It starts off in chapter 6 of Genesis. Six chapters in. We could turn there. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, this is 600 years after Adam and Eve are created and formed in the garden. And six chapters into the Bible, verse 5, it tells us, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I'm telling you, studying this week has been a great reminder for me. This world, we should never be surprised at its evil or decay or deterioration around us. This week, I've been praying those David-type prayers. Oh, Lord, how long? How long, oh, Lord? When we see what's going on in our nation, the sins in our nation, the reaction in our nation towards six people being murdered, three children being murdered, and it's all about pushing the sinful transgender ideology, our stomach should turn, and we should be not surprised at the evil and decay and deterioration of our own nation. It's just the reality of the world that we're living in, when our own president is promoting it. And we should not be surprised by this. If you find a piece of rotting meat in your refrigerator and you leave it on your counter, and you forget to dispose of it, you go out to work and then come home, are you surprised that it's still rotting when you get home? Or are you just angry at yourself that you stunk up your whole house and forgot to throw it away? See, oftentimes when we look at the world around us, we get mad. We can even be surprised. We should not be surprised. We should be mad at ourselves saying, where is the salt? John Stout, this is exactly what he says. He says, when society does go bad, we Christians tend to throw up our hands in holy horror and reproach the non-Christian world. But should we not rather reproach ourselves? One can hardly blame unsalted meat for going bad. It cannot do anything else. The real question to ask is, where is the salt? Where is the salt? Are there any grandparents here this morning? Any grandparents here? I want you to think of the faces of each of your grandkids. Think of their faces and now put that up against the world and what's going on in the world today. Where is the salt? How are you as a grandparent acting as a preserving agent in your grandson or daughter's life? Any parents here? Right? As we think of the faces of our children and the world that they're growing up in, 
may we take a step back and say, where is the salt? How are we as believers acting as that preserving influence on the world today? And for us as believers, that influence is to be first and foremost in our homes and in our relationships and at our jobs. As, as salt, we're salt in our homes, salt in our jobs, salt in our small sphere of influence. Then the church altogether is the preserving influence upon our world today. Are we preserving and causing more holiness in the people around us? Or are we the ones leading the charge towards laziness and debauchery? Who are we? Let's turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, this is Jesus' prayer for his disciples. This is Jesus' prayer and Jesus' mindset for us. John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Again, truly, if this world is not our home, then they are going to hate us. Just like they hated the prophets of the Old Testament, just as they hated Jesus. Again, I, I always laugh. Jesus provided free health care to people, right? He healed people for free. He didn't charge them. He healed people for free. Then he provided free food for people. He didn't charge them. He didn't pass the offering plate over and over and over again. Hey, let's pay for the fish and chips, right? No. He just fed them for free. And yet, they hated him. They lied about him, and they murdered him. We know that he gave up his own life, but they put him to death. How dare we think that we can live a truly Christian life and think that this world is going to like us or love us? We need to just accept it. They are going to hate us if we are living a truly biblical life. Jesus' prayer is not to just pluck us up out of the world, or to just go and live in the forest all by ourselves, Jesus' prayer is that we'd be in the world, but not of it. That we would be the preserving influence in our world today. How can we stay being that preserving influence? Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Family, it is so important that we are taking a consistent diet of God's Word. Are you doing that? Are you reading the Bible each and every day? It's the only chance we have at being sanctified from the world around us. And truth be told, to read through the whole Bible in a year, some people say it's impossible. It takes 10 to 15 minutes each day. We have that time. It's just not a priority in our lives, if we're honest. 
10 to 15 minutes a day. How much time do you spend on social media or YouTube or in traffic or doing a million other things? It's just not a priority in our lives, and that's why the salt is losing its saltiness. God's word, God's sanctification in our lives, it's just simply not a priority. May it become a priority in our lives. The only way a young man can cleanse his way is by hearing and taking heed to the word of God. We can do it. Then he continues in Matthew 5, he says, But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Salt itself, it's impossible for salt itself, the chemical compounds of it, to lose its saltiness. However, in ancient times, their salt wasn't, wasn't created by getting salt water and, and dissolving the H2O and leaving just the salt there. Most of the salt was gathered from the marshes and from brackish water. So it would have salt, but it have many other minerals and compounds there. And if those mineral and compounds were greater than the salt, the salt would, in a sense, lose its saltiness. Have we lost our flavor because there's other seasoning coming to the surface or choking out the Word of God in our lives? It's interesting because the Greek word for loses its flavor is the Greek word moranio, where we get our English word moron from. Every other time this Greek word is used outside of the Mount of Beatitudes, it speaks of dullness, foolishness, or becoming a fool. In Romans chapter 1 verse 22, famous portion, a famous verse says, Professing to be wise, they became fools. One commentator says, The greatest fool in all the world is the person who exchanges God's wisdom of truth and light for man's wisdom of deceit and darkness. Sadly, many Christians, this is exactly what we've done. We've taken the wisdom of God that's from above. You read uh, James chapter 1 through 5. You read about the wisdom from above, and many believers have put that wisdom on a shelf, and they've gone to the wisdom of this world to solve their problems. It's utter foolishness. We need to remember, Jesus is telling us we are the only salt in this world. If we are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, if we are those who are having all kinds of evil done against us falsely for Jesus' sake, then we are the only salt and preserving agent on this planet. So believer, have we lost our saltiness? Have we become dull in our behavior? Have we given up our preserving factor and now we try to act like rotting meat to save rotting meat? Would that make any sense? Imagine you're at someone's house and they pull out a piece. Oh man, this meat's spoiled. Don't worry. I got another bad steak right here. Just put it on top, mix them together, and then I'll cook it up for you, right? I don't want any of that. I'll go to the grocery store. I'll be right back, right? If that's the case, then we are good for nothing and will be trampled underfoot by men. And if we're honest, Christianity is almost a laughing stock within our nation because so much of Christendom has made itself look like the world and it is good for nothing. The word dull 
in the kids' dictionary, here's the definition. Mentally slow or stupid, slow in action or sluggish, lacking sharpness of edge or point, lacking brilliance or luster, and uninteresting. Brothers and sisters, have we become slow in our walk and in our faith? Have we become slow in being obedient to God's word? Have we become slow in action and sluggish? What does our service unto God look like? Is, is it even existent? Or have we become so dull and slow in action and sluggish that everyone can tell Christianity is not a priority in your life? Are we lacking sharpness? Is there no edge? Is there no point in our life? Are we lacking brilliance or luster? We'll see in a moment that Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Are we lacking that brilliance? Are we dumbing ourselves down so that we can sort of camouflage in the world more and more? And finally, are we just simply uninteresting? Have we become just that beige and boring believer? That Eeyore Christian that other people don't really want to be around? And it happens when God's word is uninteresting in our lives. When it's just something we do on the side sometimes. Get to church early? Ah, who cares? It's not that important. We'll get there 50 minutes in. Reading God's word on a daily basis? Uninterested. I'd rather be bored to death with social media, right? Have we become uninterested in the word of God? We go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, this portion of scripture goes so well with the idea of if the salt has become dull. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start from verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. By all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think we could all say amen to that. The days are evil. The days are evil. And now what are we doing with the most expensive thing that we possess? Our time. Our time. What are we doing with it? Are we walking circumspectly? Are we paying attention to our life? Paying attention to how much we spend in the different things in life? 
Are we paying attention to what's important in life? That when we see our creator face to face, will he welcome us in and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will he say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity? I never knew you. Are we considering what is going to outlive me? What am I going to leave here as a legacy? What in my life will be done for Jesus Christ? Because only what's done for Christ will last. That's the only thing that's important. Are we just asleep spiritually? Have we gone back to the darkness? May we wake up this morning. May we ask the Lord, Lord, please wake me up. We need to remember 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. It tells us, as obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. In all your conduct. That word all in the Greek, you guys know what it means. What does it mean? It means all. All of our conduct. The way we act alone in our bedrooms, compared to how we act at church, it should all be holy. The way we act at work with a group of unbelievers compared to going Chick-fil-A with a bunch of believers, right? It's all supposed to be holy. And so often we are going back to our former lusts instead of pressing into being conformed into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Believer, have you become dull? Have you bought into the lies of sin? Have you been lulled into spiritual sluggishness and just plain sleep? Have you allowed the cares of the world to choke out the word of God growing in you and through you and bearing much fruit? Have you bought into the lies of political correctness? Have you bought into the lie of the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice? I encourage you, repent. Repent and return to those former works. We can so quickly forget what we have been saved from. We've been, been saved from darkness. That's what we just read here. We've been saved from being a part of the rotting, decaying corpse. And then God, he picks us up. He cleans us up. He takes the blood of Jesus Christ and he cleanses us from all sin and unrighteousness. And then he makes us just before God. Then he takes the righteousness of God and he places that upon us. He only sees us through that. He then takes the Holy Spirit and puts it inside of us. And then he adopts us into the body of Jesus Christ. We quickly forget what we've been saved from and we go back to it. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 tells us that we've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Colossians chapter 1.13 tells us that he's delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Yet we think that the way we will get this world to like us is if we get rid of our saltiness, get rid of our tanginess, get rid of our sting and act more and more like the rotting corpse. May we repent of this this morning. Oswald Chambers, he says, some modern teachers seem to think that our Lord said, you are the sugar of the earth. <laughs> Meaning that our gentleness and winsomeness 
without the curativeness, that means without possessing the cure, is the ideal of Christianity. Our Lord's illustration of a Christian is salt. And salt is the most concentrated thing known. We have to accept the fact and the truth that the message of the cross and the message of salvation in and through Jesus Christ alone is offensive and it stings. Some of my favorite testimonies, now they're, right, they're grandmothers now, they're little old ladies, and some of them will say, the first time someone said you're a sinner, I said, I ain't no sinner. And for how many of us was that our first initial reaction to the gospel? Hey, you're a sinner and you're dead in your sin. Me? Not me. Maybe my husband, but not me. I'm no sinner. Maybe my mother-in-law, but I'm no sinner. I don't know who you're talking about, right? The message of the gospel, it is offensive. It stings. And yet even though Jesus Christ was perfect and he was hated and put to death, even though the gospel is offensive and it stings, somehow we think that we are so good and we're going to be so loving that the world is going to like us and embrace us with open arms. We're buying into the lies of the enemy, changing scripture to you are the sugar of this world. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Therefore it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. We should take so much comfort in this verse that if we believe on Jesus Christ and we put our life and our lifestyle and our home is all dependent upon the word and what the word has to say, we will by no means be put to shame. There's going to be no shame in that. Now we should not be obnoxious. We should not be annoying. We should not be jerks. But if we stake our whole life and what's going on in our homes Based on what the word of God says, we will never be ashamed of it. And if we're honest, how much of our sin today are we shameful of? How much of our sin, how much of our past decisions, how much time have we spent sowing into sin that once we reap the wages of our sin, 
We are ashamed. We are ashamed of what we've done. How much hope and faith should we put on Christ that there's a promise here? Whoever believes on him will by no means be put to shame. To the unbeliever, God's word, it's stumbling and it's offensive. And we have to be so careful, brothers and sisters. We have to be so careful to not make the word of God more offensive and to also not make the word of God less offensive. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit and just teach it as it is. And live it as it is. Be filled with the Holy Spirit to know when to give grace and when to bring out righteousness and the rod. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to not correct a fool according to his folly. But then when you have to correct a fool according to his folly, we need that Holy Spirit. This was the problem with the Pharisees. They made the word of God so offensive. They made it impossible to come to him. And then you have the liberals on the other side that they just water it down and water it down and water it down. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and just serve up God's word just like it is. It's good enough on its own. It has everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now in verse 14 he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Once again here, the tense in the Greek is, you alone are the light of the world. We read earlier how we were saved out of darkness. No other religion, no other idea, no other philosophy, no other psychology is the light of the world. It is only Christians who are being obedient sons and daughters of God. And the reminder, just like the salt, salt is not heard, it's just felt and tasted. Light is not heard, that's when you have a bad ballast, that's when the light is going bad that you hear it. But light, it's just simply seen. It's not making that much noise, right? You can hear the AC fan, you can hear the kids, the kids ministry, but can't really hear the lights. And this is a very heavy and powerful statement for Jesus Christ to call this group of fishermen, this group of tax collectors, this group of prostitutes, shepherds, and the lowest of the low in society. He says, you are the only salt of the world. You are the only light of the world. Especially when this is a title that belongs to none other than Jesus Christ himself. Let's turn to the Gospel of John Chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 12. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. In John chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus here tells us, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now is Jesus physically here on earth anymore? No, doesn't matter what the crazy guy down the street is saying, right? Jesus is not here on earth anymore. Now we have the Holy Spirit. 
So Jesus has, he's given us the baton. He's saying, hey, I'm not here anymore. So now you, we, sons and daughters of God, we who are home, our homeland, our country, our citizenship is in heaven. Now we are the light of the world. What a responsibility for us. He's given us the charge. He's given us the responsibility. And when we see him face to face, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're still there in the Gospel of John, we could go to chapter 3. And again here, we'll see the balance, how the light is offensive unless we humble ourselves and accept it. And is light not offensive? I'm sure some of us this morning, especially in the 11 a.m. crowd, if I could be that honest, right? Someone had the audacity this morning that while you were asleep and relaxing, they had the audacity to turn on all the lights in the room, right? And all of a sudden, we all become like vampires, right? Ah, we're all offended by it. Turn that off. Put the covers on. What are you doing? And that's the same thing with sin and darkness, John chapter 3, verse 19, Jesus tells us, This is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light. That is agape love. It's a scary scripture. They selflessly loved. They sacrificially loved darkness rather than the light, even if it brought more harm and detriment to them. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. It's just the reality of the world today and the reality of the world in the Roman culture. People love their deeds, their sin. They love it. Even if it brings more harm to their own lives, to the lives of their family, to the lives of their home, to the lives of the nation and the world around them. They love their deeds. And that's why they hate the light. Why do you think that most nightclubs, do they have the LEDs as bright as possible in there? Most bars, is it just full light, full brightness in there? It's dark. It's dim in there. That's all so that they can hide from the reality of their deeds, that their deeds would not be exposed. But he who does the truth, we come to the light, that our deeds may be clearly seen. This is the whole life of a believer. We're saying, God, I am not good enough to get to heaven. Here's the reality of what I've brought to the table. It's pretty stinky and pretty terrible. But Lord, I'm laying this here and now I have faith that Jesus Christ and his deeds is enough to get me to heaven. So now my faith is in him and now I abide in him and I trust in his word and follow his word from here on out. Family, we are the only light of the world. This charge and this responsibility has been given to us. Now, we don't stir up the light in and of ourselves. We don't make ourselves more salty all by ourselves. We simply reflect the light of Jesus Christ from our life now into the world around us. If we're saved, if we're abiding in Jesus Christ, then the Holy Spirit is going to be flowing from the inside out. And then we are going to be bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
We don't have to work super hard to stir it up. We just have to be obedient and faithful to the word of God. The second half of verse 14, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Again, the backdrop here, there's this huge valley, this mountain range, a lake at the bottom. And at night, you can see the lights of certain cities. They can't hide it even if they wanted to. You're on the Sea of Galilee. Oh, hey, look, there's Tiberias. There's a city of Tiberias. I see all the city lights there. They can't hide the city that's on a hill. And the main thing about salt and light is that they are distinct They are completely different from the rotting and decaying flesh and from the darkness surrounding them. The difference can be clearly seen. It's simple and unmistakable. But it's not something, once again, that we have to stir up or work harder to be more clearly seen or to be more unmistakable. All we have to do is abide in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is be obedient to the Word of God. All we have to do is be plugged into Jesus and then we will bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit and we will be unmistakable to the world around us. Let's be honest. In the world, it's so dark. If we're simply just following the word of Jesus Christ and our morals are aligned with the word of Jesus Christ, we will inevitably be different than the world around us. It's just going to happen. Charles Spurgeon says, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians. Christians whose virtues would never be displayed. Pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or by anyone else. Family, we are to be that city set on a hill. Stop trying to dumb down the light and the truth of God's word. Verse 15, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now this light, it's not a candle. Jesus is not talking about a candle and a wicker basket or your mom's like basket of fruits. That's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about an oil lamp. And they would take an oil lamp, they'd have to fill it with oil, they'd have to trim the wick, and then they would take work to light it. Now the basket is not a basket, it's a snuffer is what you call it almost. It's like a a circle, a cup almost that's hard, metal or clay, and you put it on top of the fire and it chokes out the oxygen and snuffs it out. Jesus is saying, when you light a lamp, you don't snuff it out right away. But instead, you put it on display. You put it at a place higher and higher up so that it can give light to all who are in the house. We could think of the lampstand found in the temple or the lampstands in the book of Revelation. What the church is supposed to be. We're simply to put Jesus Christ on display. We're just the lampstand. But now, he says we're the light. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be burning bright For our Father in heaven. We shouldn't be looking for ways to dim down our light or dull down the truth and the reality of God's word and the fruit of obedience to God's word in our lives. Put it on display. We should be looking for ways to prop it up, put it on display, and not to only certain groups of people, but to everyone who's in the house. 
The fruit of the Holy Spirit should not only be on display for outsiders or unbelievers, it should be put on display for those inside the house as well. For our spouses, our parents, our family, our church, our employee, our employer, all of that light should be put on display. Our selfless love should be put on display at home, at work, at church, and in the world around us. Our joy should be put on display at work, at home, in the world, and at church. Our peace, our long-suffering and patience, our kindness, our goodness, our faithfulness, our gentleness, and our self-control should all be put on display at work, at home, with unbelievers, with believers, and in the church as well. Stop looking to hide that light and just be honest and be real with people. David Guzik, he says, To be effective, we must seek and display the Christian distinctive. We can never affect the world for Jesus by becoming like this world. The figures of salt and light also remind us that the life marked by the Beatitudes is not a life to be lived in isolation. We often assume that those inner qualities can only be developed or displayed in isolation away from the world. But Jesus wants us to live them out before the world around us. Jesus points to a breath in the impact of the disciples that have, must have seemed almost ridiculous at this time. Again, think of when Jesus is giving this teaching. It's people who had just been sick, people that were tired, people that were weary, people that didn't have enough food. This is the group of people around them. How could these humble Galileans salt the earth or light the world? But guess what? They did it. They absolutely were the salt and the light of this world. And Jesus never challenges us to become salt or light. He simply says that we are. And now we are either fulfilling or failing that responsibility. How are you doing being salt and light? Are you fulfilling that responsibility, that baton that Christ has given you? Or are you completely failing at it? Salt is the opposite of corruption, and it prevents corruption from getting worse. When you're with your family, when you're with your circle of friends, your coworkers, are you keeping the corruption at hold, or are you a part of it? Are you participating in it? Are you the one egging it on? I'll tell you what, in my BC days, I was the one leading the pack. I just wouldn't do it. It'd be my idea, and I'd tell other people to go and do it, right? They'd get in trouble for it. But now after we come to the Lord, we're, we're to prevent it. Light gives the gift of guidance so that those who have lost their way can find the path home. Are we giving clarity to the people around us? Or are people more confused after they talk to us? Some people, they speak in so much spirituality and allegories and all these things and isms that you talk to them and you're more confused afterwards than before. It should not be so with believers. Finally, what's the purpose of all this? What's the purpose of having our light shining? Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the point and the purpose of putting our good works out there, of letting our light shine, it's not for self-glorification. It's not for growing up the corporate ladder. 
It's not for self-exaltation, but so that our Father can be glorified and exalted. I believe it's no accident that this is the first time in the New Testament that God is referred to as our Father. And he says, this is why we're to be salt and light, that our good works may be seen, and that people would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We live in a day and age when so much of Christianity is about self-exaltation. So much of Christianity, I'll say it's people that failed in the world. They weren't good enough as artists in the world or influencers in the world. So now they come to Christianity where there's more grace and more mercy and more kindness. And then they're failing artists, but they just come to Christianity so that they could get a platform. It's just the world and the day and age we live in. We are to let our good works shine, not for self-exaltation or self-benefit, but that we would glorify our Father in heaven. Question for you. When was the last time you saw a group of well-behaved toddlers? You see a group of two, three, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. What what do you think of? You think, man, look at how well-behaved these kids are. I wonder how many self-help and self-discipline books they read, right? I wonder which podcast they listen to and look at how well they're behaving. Or do you say, man, what type of father or mother must these kids have? What kind of hard work and labor did the parents put in here? And that's the point of our good works. It's not for people to look at our lives and say, wow, how much self-help, how much strength does this person have to live like this? It's for them to look at us and say, wow, what type of father must these people have? Frederick Bruce, he says, God we learn as father delights in noble conduct. Just as human fathers find joy in sons who conduct themselves bravely. So, brothers and sisters, are we behaving bravely in this world today? Are we being the salt that we're, we're supposed to be? Are we being the light that we're supposed to be? Or are we cowering away in fear and we're trying to dumb it down? Are we playing with sin? Are we going back to the darkness, back to the rot, back to the debauchery, and thinking that everything's going to be A-OK in the end? Especially for the fathers and mothers here. Don't think it's just fine and dandy. It's no big deal that my kids are messing around with all of this rotting flesh. Most of us parents were more germaphobes with the germs of this world than we are with the spiritual choices that our children are making. May we hold the stand, and may we be brave in this world today. To not be overly obnoxious, not to dumb down the truth of God's word, but to just plainly speak the truth in love. So Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. We thank you for these portions of scripture that sting a bit more than others, God. And Lord, we come to you. If, if anyone here, Lord, is weary and heavy laden, Lord, may they come to you and find rest, Lord. Lord, for anyone here, Lord, that they are completely convicted They've been a coward in their home, with their family, in the workplace. Lord, may may they just repent, Lord. Thank you so much for this relationship that you give us, Lord, that all we need to do is admit our need for you, repent, and turn and sin no more. Lord, so for any of us who are convicted, Lord, if any of us are being condemned by the devil, may we accept the truth of our failures and yet bring it to you, Lord. Bring to you the truth of our failures, the truth of how wicked our righteousness is, Lord. 
how it is only filthy rags in your sight, Lord. Help us to be brave in this day and age that we live in, Lord. Help us as parents to raise up those Jonathans and Davids in the wicked world around us, God. To raise up those Daniels and Esthers in this wicked and wicked world that we're in, Lord. Lord, help us to stop hiding the light, Lord. Help us to stop dumbing down the saltiness, Lord. Help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit to overflowing, Lord, that we would just bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just love you. We thank you, Lord. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand. We'll close in worship. If you need prayer, hey, there's pastors up front. I encourage you to come up front and pray. Maybe you're realizing at work you're looking more like your unsaved fellow coworkers than you look like light and salt. I encourage you, come up front, pray, get read up, get strengthened. And perhaps you've never prayed to accept the light of Jesus in your life and in your heart. I encourage you, come up front and talk with one of the pastors.